your soulmate may be living in Brazil, although she's currently a headless horse. And then we take a look at what happens when a love of horror movies collides with real life today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. So we got some cool stuff to cover today, so we're just going to go ahead and slide right into this. First stop, we're going to... So first off, we're taking a trip to Brazil. Sunny, sunny Brazil. Home of the Brazil nut. And what's featured in a documentary called Brazil about an office worker who becomes an angel. I don't know. Never saw the movie. Just saw the cover. But anyways, that's all I know about Brazil. And they have a UFO problem. We've documented that in other episodes. But in this episode, we're going to Brazil specifically to meet Mula Sem Cabaca. Mula Sem Cabaca. Fluent in Spanish. Oh, wait, no. Is that Portuguese? Which one's the Portuguese country? I think that's Brazil. Anyways, and Portugal. But, or in English... The Headless Mule. Dun, dun, dun. Now, generally, animals that have their heads chopped off aren't threatening because they're dead. But this one is. And you're thinking, oh, okay, it's just going to be a headless horse running through the fields of Brazil. But don't jump to conclusions because this is far, far more than just your average headless horse. There's three types of headless horses. There's ones that are just dead in some sort of slaughterhouse. Those are the sad ones. There are ghost headless horses, which those aren't very interesting because, again, they're just a horse. I guess it's more interesting than a dead headless... I don't know why I keep calling it a headless horse, actually. It's a headless mule, which is when a horse and a donkey have sex. And, oddly enough, a mule can't have offspring itself. I learned that from an Isaac Asimov novel. The headless mule, not horse, headless mule is this creature that lives in Brazil. But it's more, it's so much more. It's so much more than that. This is its origin story. Apparently, there's a lot of them, because they had a serious problem with this in Brazil at some point. Back in the past, there was a beautiful young woman who fell in love with a priest, which you're not supposed to do that. Rule number one, never fall in love. But she didn't listen to rule number one. She fell in love with a priest, and she actually is able to use her witchy woman powers to seduce this man of the cloth, and they have sex. And all of a sudden, she's like, oh, no, I did something totally wrong. What's funny is that, so her, what happens is she runs out into the forest or the jungle, whatever's down there, or both, I'm not entirely for sure, but she runs off into the foliage of Brazil, and her body, like her bones, start breaking, and her legs grow long, and she's like, oh, that's not good. And then her arms are getting long, too, and her fingers, her perfectly manicured fingers are turning into gnarly horse hooves and she's like i thought i was a mule gnarly mule hooves she's like that's better and she realizes she's not running now she's galloping her clothes are ripping off her body she's swelling up her bones are getting thicker she's like um this is not the normal (laughs) this isn't that time of the month i don't normally don't bloat around now (laughs) and she realizes that's her voice she's neighing because she's turning into a mule and then her head falls off And flames shoot out of the stump of where her head used to be. And she gallops off into the night air. Oh, and for people who have a weird fetish, also a tail pops out of her butthole. So, I mean, I don't know if you're into that thing. I don't know if there's any bronies going on. But if there are, you had a beautiful maiden who's turned into a mule. Which, to me, the word mule is far less sexy than the word horse. I guess it's kind of the same thing. 
But if if someone was like, hey, man, I'm dating someone, I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, but she kind of looks like a horse. I'd be like, ugh. But if that same person says, I'm dating someone, I go, really? And they're like, yeah, she kind of looks like a mule. I'm going to be like, that's break up with her right now. You can date the horse chick. Date the horse chick. But if she looks like a mule, that's a stage too far. Does she look like a headless mule? Are there flames shooting out of her neck? He looks down to the floor. He's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, you just got to break up with her. So anyways, she turns into this headless mule. But for all intents and purposes, it's a horse. It's a galloping thing. But what I find funny about that whole story is nothing happens to the priest. The priest who made an oath to God to never have sex, to take a vow of celibacy, bangs this chick, and then she jumps out of bed and starts transforming into this hell beast. And he just goes back to, like, reading the Bible. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Headless mule. Shouldn't have done that. There's a bunch of headless mules running around his yard. He's like, I should probably stop banging all those peasant girls. So this mule, this flaming headless mule is running around. Despite its lack of a head, it makes a lot of noise. It neighs really loudly and like totally like scares you. A lot of times it also moan like a woman is the description given. I'm like, okay, that's oddly sexual. But so it can both neigh really loudly. It can moan like a woman. And I keep saying loudly because one of its key characteristics is how loud it is. It's almost deafening. You can hear it from miles away. When it's getting closer to you, it's getting louder and louder and louder. That's how sound normally works. Its horseshoes themselves are made of, like, iron. And they're very loud. It sounds like giant drums are just bum, 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 bum as it's running towards you. So there's almost no way you don't know this thing's coming at you. But there are people out there who don't want to avoid this hellish creature. Because it will kill you. It can stomp you to death and get mad. It can shoot flames out of its neck at you, set you on fire. But in where its mouth should be is a bridle. There's like a red-hot metal bridle. Bridle's a little thing that goes in the horse's mouth. And in this case, a mule's mouth. So this legend is akin to a werewolf, where during the day, she is a normal woman, but at night, transforms into an extremely loud beast who can trample you to death. I.e., just like she's your wife. And she will destroy anything in its path. This horse is just a ramp. This mule is just a rampaging beast. Will destroy anything in its path. And the one thing that attracts it more than anything is shiny things. So if you have like a little gold nugget on your mouth, I don't know why you do that. You're just spitting gold nuggets everywhere. It'll come after you. But let's say you don't have any metal on you, anything shiny. Your fingernails and teeth are shiny enough. If it sees those, it'll come towards you and try to trample you to death. You have to lay down on the ground, face first, cover up your pearly whites, cover up your fingernails. You'll just look like a lump in dirt. And the horse will walk past you. Now, that's the advice they give you. I'm a little iffy on it because, one, laying down in front of a demonic mule is never a good idea. I'd rather take my chances running and the chance that it may see one of my fingernails than laying down on a dirt road where a fiery mule is headed towards me. They're saying the reason why this trick works because it doesn't have good eyesight, which is kind of a given because its head is gone. It shouldn't have any eyesight at all, but apparently it's able to see shiny things and come after them. But during the day, it's a normal woman. It's like a werewolf-esque curse with these things. So the problem is, is that she can go about her daily life but as the sun starts to set, she oh, she's going to go through that horrible changing process again. She's going to feel her bones break and her body weight shift and all that stuff. And you know, there's a bunch of like fetishist 
sitting in the village, like eating popcorn. They're like, oh, this is real good part. Soon the tail pops out of her butt. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. So anyway, she turns into this monster every night. But if you are looking for love, gentlemen, if you are looking for love, there is a way to tame this beast's heart and get a little something, something for yourself. See, there's a couple of different ways to cure it. You can take a needle, and when they're in mule form, you poke them. And they'll start bleeding, obviously, that's what needles tend to do. Or, you can tie her to a cross. Now, when I read that, I realized that one of the most Herculean tasks that could ever be undertaken would be tying a horse to a cross. I just don't think their body works that way. But if you can somehow take a mule and tie it in the form of a cross, you can cure this thing. But, it has to be done where the sin was committed. And so you're basically in the priest's bedroom. You're like, hey, sorry, sir, here, we're erecting this giant cross in there. He's like, I already got like 10 of those. He's like, yeah, but this one's specifically horse designed. And he's like, oh, great. And then he sees you leading this headless mule in. He's like, hey, Betty, you can do that, but she will only be cured for that night. So it's pretty useless. So I don't even know why they came up with that part of the legend. They're like, yeah, we have a way to cure you, but it'll only last for eight to 10 hours. If you really want to cure this woman, What you have to do is you have to reach in and grab the hot bridle from... Is it bridle or brittle? You have to reach in and grab the... the, 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 You have to reach in and grab the metal mouth thing from where the mule's head would be. And it's red hot. It's super, super hot. Maybe white hot even. But you have to grab it and take it off. If you do, this is your reward. This is a quote from the website where I got this information. Removal of the curse is a great relief for the woman... Because the curse includes many trials. I'm assuming that's the horrible shape-shifting pain that happens every night. And probably just, you'd probably get tired because you'd be running around Brazil every single night. Then you got to go home and like do dishes. Uh, Sorry, let me go back. Removal of the curse is a great relief for the woman because the curse includes many trials. So the grateful woman will usually repent her sins and marry the benefactor. So you can... Find the woman of your dreams by removing this red-hot bridle from this creature's mouth. And she turns back into a woman and says, Thank you. So many trials. My legs hurt. I haven't been able to poop because there's a tail sticking out of my butthole. It's been an awful, awful couple years. Let's get married. So you do get that. However, I do like that they included the word usually. Usually. So imagine a man chasing down this haunted mule, looking for love. And he finally is able to trick it. He covers up everything shiny in his pocket. He's a, he's a goth teen, so his fingernails are already all black. That's not a giveaway. He just wears a mask over his face. A goth mask. And anyway, so he able, is able to take down the headless mule, pull the bridle out of the mouth, and she looks at him and goes, Thank you. Thank you, good gothic traveler. But you're like a brother to me. And I can't imagine you not being there for me. I'm going to go back to town. I'm going to go talk to that priest again. I think the idea of getting friend-zoned by a cryptid might be the worst possible outcome ever. If you and your buddies got kidnapped by Bigfoots, and your buddy gets dragged off and becomes like they're breeding, starts impregnating all the female Bigfoots, and you just get to watch, that might honestly be the most humiliating fate ever. I mean, if me and my buddy both got abducted by aliens and he's the only one getting anal probed, I'm going to feel a little left out. I'm going to feel like it's me. I'm going to feel like I'm not good enough for them. 
Getting friend-zoned by aliens or ghosts or cryptids might actually be the worst thing that anyone will ever have put on their tombstone. So you go through this whole process. You grab the hot bridle out, and she just walks away and goes finds a hot young man. Get it? Hot? Actually, I didn't plan that pun. She goes into town. She finds some hot dude, and you're stuck there with horrible burns on your hands. But before you go, Jason, that's worth the risk. I am willing to burn my hands. I'm willing to get friend-zoned by a Brazilian cryptid. Let me tell you a little bit of what happens after she turns back into a human. She's totally naked. Yeah, Jason, you didn't even have to tell me that part. I assumed all of her clothes ripped off. She's sweaty. Yeah, double good, double, double good. Got this naked, sweaty woman standing in the middle of the Brazilian jungle or forest, whatever's out there. It's just me, her, and the horrible scars and burns I have all over my hands and wrists. She's naked, she's sweaty. She also smells of sulfur. That might be the biggest boner killer of all time. I can't imagine finally meeting Britney Spears and her smelling like rotten eggs. She could have B.O. She could smell bad. But if she actually smelt like hell... Sorry, Britney. Sorry. No, I'd still do her. But the point is is that you, you would really have to overcome that horrible, horrible scent. And it doesn't necessarily say it goes away either. So you could have little babies that have smell half like sulfur and half like you. Whatever you smell like, hopefully, better than sulfur. And before you guys get too excited and go, okay, so you have this horse that bangs a priest, so that means she's good to go. And she turns into this horse, and then I horribly scar myself, or I just wear oven mitts. I'm sure there's a way around melting your own hands. I pull pull the thing out of her mouth. She turns back into a hot, sweaty woman who stinks, but, you know, I can deal with that. And I'm banging her. That's good. But to be fair, yes, that is good. I do agree with you on those all those points. That's why I presented the story that way. However, one other twist. You don't necessarily know how the woman became the headless mule. There's actually several ways this can happen. One of them is banging a priest. Okay. Again, that just means she's DTF. She can also become this by... Infant side, look, I personally couldn't get with a woman who killed a baby. I mean, your mileage may vary, but that's kind of, that's, that's, that's a bridge too far. That's like on the third date, she tells you, oh yeah, I I have kids. Well, had kids. And you're like, what does that mean? And she's like, oh, that's a fourth date conversation. We're not getting to the fourth date. Unless, I mean, it was like a car accident or something. But I mean, no. And... She all you can also become this thing that was dark. <laughs> that was a dark moment, dark moment for an otherwise lighthearted show. She can also become this is fairly more lighthearted. She can also become this thing by engaging in necrophagy, which is eating corpses. So that's disgusting. <laughs> like that's another thing. But to be fair, if a girl told me when she was in college she ate somebody's thumb probably be able to look past that maybe well actually this is a corpse so if i met a girl and she said oh yeah about 10 years ago when i was in college i went into a morgue and ate a ate a thumb i don't know why a thumb any part of the human body i guess the thumb's like the most innocent thing but if i was with a girl and she goes oh yeah no i i ate some of a corpse once that that would probably be a deal breaker yeah, that would pro- yeah, yeah, that would be a deal breaker but it would be i if i had a choice between necrophagy girlfriend or inf- oh, never mind, <laughs> never mind, never mind. There's no choice. They're both gross. If I had a choice between a woman who banged the priest, I wouldn't even consider. I'd be like, 
Oh, yeah, and what'd you do the next day? Like, that wouldn't even pop up on my radar of red flags. But infant side and necrophagy. So, just letting you know, yes, this segment ended fairly darker than it started, but just letting you know, before you book your ticket to Brazil, until you pull that metal piece out of that mule's mouth, you don't know if you're getting a hot chick who's banged a priest, or just some disgusting women who've done some disgusting things. But, to be fair, you're the one who went to Brazil to bang a mule. So, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Now, our next story is going to seem a little out of place because I didn't expect that segment to get as lighthearted as it was. But it's a story that I've wanted to cover, actually, before I even started doing this show. It's one of those true crime stories that I've come across in my years of looking at true crime that is always just kind of stuck with me for some very particular elements. The, the crime itself is actually, and I hate to use words like this, but it's actually fairly mundane. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the crime itself. But what we're going to look at is this happened in 2006. You had three teenagers. You had Brian Lee Draper and Tori Michael Adamick. They're both 16 years old. And they had a friend whose name was Casey Joe Stoddart. And she was 15. That should tell you where we're going with this, because she was 15. And what happened was these two kids get together. They'd only known each other for about six weeks. Brian and Tori had only known each other for about six weeks. They immediately become good friends. They were really into movies and movie making. They went to um, Pocatello High School in Pocatello, Idaho. So that's where the story takes place. So in, in the year 2006, for six weeks, these two people meet, and they just really bond very, very quickly. And... So one of them was idolizing the Columbine killers, and the other one was a huge fan of Scream and horror movies in general. And both of there's a little bit of bleed through with the two. They both liked horror movies, but one loved Columbine more than the other, and one loved horror movies more than the other. But they started getting it in their mind that they wanted to be famous. They wanted to kill someone, and they specifically wanted to reenact Scream. They wanted to be those cool, edgy teenagers who are going around killing people in town. Because it would make them famous. It would make them powerful. It would make them somebody. In a world full of invisibles, they would be somebody. So they hatch this plan. And they begin going out. And, and this came out after the trial. But they begin going out and they, they surveilled eight people. Eight different people. Eight different times. Waited outside their house. Looking for the perfect opportunity. But every single time there was multiple people in the home. So they always had to kind of brush off their stuff. Now, they video, they were huge into movies and huge into making films. So they videotaped a ton of their stuff. So we have video, basically videotaped confessions of them sitting outside these people's houses and planning the murders and stuff like that. But what happens is they eventually find out that Casey Joe Stoddard, who wasn't just some average girl, it was their friend. And Brian had a crush on her, but she ended up dating somebody else. And he says... She's my friend, but she has to die. They, they needed their victims. So, and I'm not just, par I'm paraphrasing that, but here is an actual audio clip that I'm going to play of them discussing the murder of Casey Joe Stoddard. So, I'm, what I'm going to do right now, because they recorded a ton of this stuff, I'm going to play you an audio clip from one of their video recordings where they are discussing the murder of Casey Joe Stoddard. Because they're basically making a documentary about the crime they're about to commit. There should be no odd against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but you hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it more. We found our victim and 
sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie's daughter. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. I was 9.50, September 22nd, 2006. We know there's lots of doors. There, There's lots of places to hide. I locked the back doors. That's all I locked. Now we just gotta wait. So what happens is they go, they find out, like they said in the clip there, and that was all recorded. It was recorded at different times during the day. But that was all recorded the day they committed the crime. They found out she was house-sitting for a relative, and she was going to be there with her boyfriend. And they originally thought, we'll just kill them both. But because they're friends with these people, they're actually invited over to the house. And they sit around and they watch a movie for a bit. And then Brian and Tori say, ah, we want to go see a movie at the movie theater. So they leave, quote-unquote leave. And then the power goes out of the house. And Casey is freaking out, obviously, because, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere. It's late at night. They're in this house. And they look around, and the power comes, her and her boyfriend are kind of looking around to see what happened. And the power does end up getting turned back on. But at that point, that was Brian and Tori killing the power so they could sneak back into the house. So they're in the house now, unknown to Casey and her boyfriend. And at one point, the boyfriend calls up his mom, because these are like 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. The boyfriend calls up the mom and said, hey, can I spend the night with Casey at this house? And the mom's like, of course not. I'm coming to pick you up. So the mom comes and picks him up. So now Casey is alone. Casey, Cassie, I think it's Cassie. I'm sorry if I've been pronouncing it wrong. Cassie is in the house alone by herself. Well, she's not, because there are those two teenagers in it. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm shaking. I stabbed her in the throat, and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, oh I just killed God. Cassie. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like fucking real. I mean, it went by so Shut fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our action. Okay. Now, that audio clip I just played was Brian and Tori driving away from the crime scene. It's fairly self-explanatory. They ended up stabbing her 30 times. And and from what, from what they can gather is they chased her around the house a bit and she was totally freaked out. Now, they had said during their trial that they were simply trying to scare her and things got out of hand. But stabbing someone 30 times is really getting things out of hand. So she died. She was found... By her 13-year-old cousin. That horribly mutilated body was found by Cassie's 13-year-old cousin. When they came home from wherever they were at. That's where she was house-sitting. And Brian and Tori were arrested five days later. So very, very short amount of time. Because her boyfriend, they immediately go to the boyfriend and say, Hey, you're the last person with her. And he's like, oh yeah, me. And then these two other dudes came over. So then the cops went to talk to them and they totally cracked. Now this case, again, that's a fairly standard true crime story. There's a lot of video evidence for it and, like, people talking about it. What what I think is odd is I've never heard, because I followed this story pretty closely for a while, I'm surprised they didn't videotape the murders. I'm glad they didn't. But I'm wondering if they did and it's just that it's never been revealed to the public. Because they don't want anyone filling out Freedom of Information Acts or something like that to try to get that videotape. I find it odd that they videotape for weeks and weeks leading up to the murder. And then start the video camera as they're leaving the murder, but we've never seen that they videotaped the murder itself. Considering they were into videotaping everything, I've always thought that was kind of odd. 
they did they did both get sentenced to life without parole. And this act this case actually went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that in, in 2012 the Supreme Court ruled minors cannot be sentenced to life without parole. You you cannot do that. So this case ended up changing the law. And I think they haven't really had their sentences reduced yet because the state's like, no, 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 there's no way we're letting these dudes out. They're like, no, we're not letting these guys out. So that's still going on. But the, it's all a fairly mundane thing. But the reason why this story is always kind of stuck with me is because there's a documentary called Lost for Life. And it's about minors who are in prison for the rest of their life. And these two guys are featured in it because their case ended up going to the Supreme Court. And in the documentary, they're talking to Brian in prison. And I've ne- I, you know, I've read true crime stuff all my life. And I've never heard such a description from a killer before. The aftermath of a crime. Brian and Cassie were friends. They knew each other. And, and most murderers know their victims. But here's his quote. This is what he says. After it happened, I had horrific dreams. Bad dreams where she was there and just graphic, gruesome dreams about her dying. I would wake up in the night and I'd be scared, terrified. Now I have dreams of her at school and everything's good. She's always smiling, but I always know in the dream that I killed her. And those dreams are the worst. And I find that absolutely fascinating. I find that absolutely fascinating because it's... You have this young man who who killed this woman in almost a he been they'd been planning for about six weeks, but for the most part it came out of nowhere. Like it wasn't this he was killing cats for a long time, doing all this stuff. He takes this woman's life, and you could hear how panicked they were in that second audio clip. He takes this young woman's life, and then he has those normal nightmares of guilt where he's like reliving the crime, and he's like he can't. He's not in control of his body. When he falls asleep, he sees himself committing the crime over and over and over again. And no matter how much he mourns during the day, no matter how regretful he is during the day, when he falls asleep, he has no control over his dreams and he's back and he can't help but killing her. But that's not the dream that terrifies him. The dream that terrifies him is when he's in class and Cassie is sitting in front of him and she turns around and she smiles and she goes, you going to do good on the test today? Oh, Brian, I can't wait. I can't wait till summer. I'm going to do so much stuff. Yeah, I actually just got, I'm going to that horseback riding camp. I know it's kind of lame and very little girlish, but I don't know. It's just going to be fun to get out of the area for a while. And in those dreams where she's just talking about life and her hopes and what they're going to have for lunch and the new movie coming out. And in those dreams, Brian is just sitting behind her in class. No knife, no blood. Just knowing that All of that is over. Knowing that he's already murdered her. Those dreams are the worst. Because in those dreams, she's still alive. And she's still happy and full of life. And has a future. And he knows the truth. She's already dead. And he killed her. Whether or not his sentence is reduced from life because he was a minor when he committed the crime is irrelevant. He will always be a prisoner in his head of this crime. Those dreams will always pop up. People really seem to idolize killers. To the point where they will openly brag to someone that they barely know that they could take a human life. 
Because you, we can argue whether or not you could physically actually kill someone. We can argue that point. But mentally, no. Mentally, you will be imprisoning yourself for the rest of your life. You'll always be having those dreams and those thoughts, and they will haunt you until the day you die. Might sound like a bit of a downer way to end an episode, but just think about that the next time you engage in some risky behavior that can get somebody else killed. When you decide to start a fight with someone or finish a fight that didn't need to be a fight in the first place. When you find yourself with your back up against the wall and you can't stand it anymore and you just want to go across the street and teach that punk kid some lesson, think about it for one extra moment. Because that extra moment may be what spares you from a lifelong nightmare. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>